However, we can choose how to handle it. And um, Dave, yep, you got him up there. Stress takes on many, many faces, and sometimes that stress can make us snap, okay? And so it makes us pull our hairs out, hair out. Picture is worth a thousand words, right? And sometimes uh, even kids have stress. And you can relate with this one, can't you? Yeah. They're all talking at once and laughing and having a good time, and mom is stressed out. So stress can make us snap. There's even a story in the Bible about stress, and it comes from Elijah, and it's uh, 2 Kings 2.23. From there, Elijah went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and were jeering at him and said, Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. He turns around looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Yeah, he got stressed out. And he called down the name of the Lord and, uh, yeah, two bears came. So there's there's a story here, you know, stress can make you snap, of course, but also don't make fun of bald men. All right? I think that's the main, main story there. Right? Yeah, yeah. But really, I mean, young and old, there are really are cases of stress. You can almost see the loneliness on this girl's face, can't you? At work, you know, there's stress. Older people have stress. And, uh, you know, the young people, all the things they deal with. And in a marriage, there's a lot of stress, isn't there? And sometimes the communication breaks down, or sometimes there's no communication at all. So the point is that stress can make you snap. Thank you, Dave. I love stories, and I love to read stories, hearing stories firsthand from people, and then I love reading stories to my grandchildren, and I love watching a good movie with a good storyline. And, but I think when some of the best stories come straight from the Bible and the stories that they have there. To me, one of the best stories is the story of Esther. Judy happened to uh, buy this book yesterday at the dollar store, and I'm going to be reading this to my kids because it, it's really cool. Um, so we're going to take a look at Esther today. And some of you are familiar with it, but a lot of times we don't hear it very often. So we're going to review it. But let's turn to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning before we start. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word that is uh, a goldmine for us to, to dive into and to get life lessons from. So we thank you for your word, and we just pray that your Holy Spirit guides us and leads us this morning as we look into your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me refresh your your memory about Esther. Uh, the story of Esther takes about takes place about 525 BC, before Jesus, and uh, the Jews are no longer in captivity. Uh, it takes place after Daniel in the lion's den, after Jerusalem was destroyed, and after the Babylon Empire has fallen to the Persians. So Esther is relatively close to, you know, the New Testament. It's 500 years away. Um, And now I'm going to give you the much-abbreviated story 
of Esther. But I encourage you to read it sometime because there's a whole lot more to it than what I'm going to say today. The book of Esther begins with the Persian king Ahasuerus throwing a huge elaborate party for himself. The king calls his beautiful queen Vashti to come and show off her beauty before everybody so that the king can say, here, there's my beautiful wife. Naturally, um, uh, or, or Queen Vashti says, I don't want to do that. Well, this upsets the king greatly, and he gets rid of her and divorces her. Now, he needs to pick out a new queen. So all the young, beautiful women of the countryside are called to be in the king's harem. If you remember, Esther is, Esther is an orphan who was raised by her cousin Mordecai. And when the king comes looking for young virgins to possibly fill the role of queen, Esther is very quick um, to jump in line. But we have to remember now that she is secretly a Jewish girl. She wins favor with both the, the people of the harem and eventually the king and eventually becomes the queen. And to top it off, Mordecai helps, he, he discovers this plot to assassinate the, the king. Well, Mordecai tells the queen, Vash, or queen uh, uh, Esther, and Esther tells the king, and the plot is foiled. And so Mordecai and Esther got some huge brownie points for that. But not all is well in the king's court. Treachery is afoot. When Mordecai refuses to bow down to this guy named Haman, who is a counselor to the king, this counselor, Haman, he decides to engineer a plot to kill all of the Jews in the Persian Empire. The plot basically involves this. Haman goes to the king and says, uh, King, I think that you should kill all the Jews in the, in the country. And the king says, hmm, okay, yeah, let's do that. That's about how it went. Sounds good to me, he says. Haman thinks that he's fixed this problem with Mordecai and walks away, twisting his mustache. (laughs) Glad that the king has unknowingly agreed to this diabolical plan. However, the king doesn't know that his own queen is a Jew because Esther has been keeping it a secret this whole time. The threat of the Jews' imminent demise kicks Mordecai and Esther into action. Mordecai gets the whole Jewish nation to uh, fast and pray, and they wear sackcloth, and they're mourning to God. Mordecai tells Esther that she's not safe either from this diabolical plan, and that she should go talk to the king. Well, Esther is scared to death, and she doesn't think that she can do it. However, Mordecai convinces her and says to her, how do you know that God has not put you in this position for such a time as this? Esther then makes a plan to visit the king, and she asks everyone to fast and pray for her for three days. Now, you have to understand that in the Persian law, anyone who went before the king without an invitation was subject to death. Esther is worried that the king will execute her for coming to him unannounced. But she goes to him unannounced, and what does he do? He lowers his scepter to her, and 
He's happy to see her. In fact, he's so happy, he says, I will give you anything you want. So what does Esther ask for? All she asks for is for a banquet. I want you and Haman, the king and Haman, to come to this banquet. Meanwhile, Haman is excited about this massacre that's going to happen, and he's excited that he got invited to this here uh, big banquet. So what does he do? He builds these gallows in his, in his front lawn, and, and it's to hang Mordecai. He's so excited. But everything changes the next morning, and Haman's hopes are dashed because the night before, the king, King Ahasuerus, he somehow remembers that Mordecai had foiled this plot of assassination. Long story short, the king orders Haman to honor Mordecai by bringing him around the whole city and honoring him in a parade. Hmm. Haman reluctantly does it. Not very happy about it. That night, Esther puts on this great banquet. And again, the king says, what do you want? Esther says, "Uh, how about one more banquet? So a second banquet is given to the king and Haman. At the second banquet, Esther asks the king to punish Haman because he is trying to kill all the Jewish people and her. Well, what do you know? The king goes ballistic. He kills Haman, hangs him on the same gallows that he built for Mordecai. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? All is well. The Jews are saved. Mordecai becomes the counselor in Haman's place. And Esther continues to be the queen. So there's your story. Much abbreviated, but very, very interesting. There's much more to this story, and you can read it more maybe later on today or in this week coming. Just take a look at it sometime. What causes family stress, though? I think there's a couple of things that we can get out of this story. First of all, one of the most most basic parts that uh, brings stress to our families is death. Death touches each one of our families. It's unavoidable. Most likely, Esther lost her parents at a fairly young age, and yet she was a strong, wise woman who eventually becomes the queen. So what do we do when stress comes, when death, or when death comes our way? What are some hints we can get from the story of Esther? Well, first off, Mordecai, cousin Mordecai, was the young girl's guardian. He had to have played a huge part in her life, didn't he? He adopted her at some point, and he must have raised her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes um, we may need to step up, like Mordecai, and take children into our families. I've known a few families that have done this. It's not an easy task. Uh, They deserve our sincere admiration and respect, because most of the time this happens very, very quickly, in the midst of of mourning. However, in today's world, with the breakdown of the family, there are more and more kids that need our help, that need us to step up. With that being said, I want to tip my hat today to many, many people who have adopted children. 
And I would love to list them today because there's many in our church family, uh, but I better not because I'll probably skip a few. But I have a deep respect and admiration for these families, and it uh, comes with great risk and sacrifice, doesn't it? All I can say is, good job, great job. I'm proud of you guys. You are the Mordecais of today's world. Last week, I met a local family who had done this. Uh, they'd gotten children and adopted them at a young age. And today, these, uh, these kids are young adults. And uh, it, it hit me really hard. Here's the kicker. They, they are still living with their adopted parents because of various reasons. It hit me real hard as I was driving away. They will always have those kids. What a sacrifice they have made. That's true love, isn't it? Let's think about that for a couple minutes. Can we do something like that? I just want to entertain something. Can we adopt an adult someone? Think about it. What if there's someone that we know who has their spouse pass away and they are living in loneliness all by themselves? What if you informally adopted them? You know, you could... Take a vow, I'm going to call this person, maybe once a week or every day, whatever you want. And you could possibly bring that person shopping or to the doctor. You, you know, you call them up and you arrange things like that. And if you ever have family gatherings, you could make sure that you invite them. You would have a deep impact on that lonely person. Just a thought. Informally adopting an adult in your fan, into your family. What a fantastic way to minister, to be salt and light to our world. Death is a true stressor. Esther lost her parents. Every one of us will deal with the stress of death. Chances are very great. We're going to lose our grandma and grandpa, our parents, our sisters, brothers, and sadly sometimes our, even our own kids. I don't mean to be depressing this morning, but... My wish is that you are ready for that fact. So what do we do when death comes? What does the Bible teach us? Well, Paul talks about it, and you're probably very familiar, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14, we read, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Most likely you've heard these verses many, many times from this pulpit, but it bears repeating. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to believe that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. And you have to accept him as your Savior. Become a child of God, an adopted child of God. There's no greater peace that comes comes to those who have suffered loss, that blow of death, than to have that assurance that your loved one believes in Jesus and has them for your Savior. I've been to many, many funerals that it's not a deep time for sorrow, but a a time of rejoicing, because that person was assuredly a child of God, and now they've just gone home 
to be with their Lord. But here's the catch. You must make sure your loved one has accepted Jesus as their Savior. Of course, you can't do that for, do that for them, but you can share the gospel with them. You can continually pray for them. Our human bodies are not going to escape death. The stress of death is inevitable. However, we can put our trust in Jesus, and he will save us from that eternal death and bring us a fountain of peace. There's another thing that we can pick up from the story of Esther about family stress. And Remember how there was that mortal attack from the bad dude named Haman? He wanted to kill all the Jews. Mordecai and Esther's attacker was someone who had great influence. Uh, Because he was the counselor to the king, uh, an uh, advisor for the king, Ahasuerus, Haman was most likely a very smart cookie. And uh, it's fairly obvious that he was a very prideful man, and a man who had a lot of power and was most likely used to getting his own way. But because Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman, Haman became so angry and he decided that everyone who was a Jew should suffer the consequences of his wrath and he he decided to put them all to death. Have you or your family ever been under attack? I'm sure you all have. To me, the chances of family attacks are more inevitable than, than death. It comes more frequently. We all come under attack. From time to time, we're going to run into people like Haman who are very powerful, have great influence, and for whatever reason, they want to make our lives miserable, as miserable as possible. And many times I think this is because deep down inside, they're miserable themselves. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, maybe it's our strong faith that we have inside of ourselves, and they're jealous of that, or whatever it is. But it annoys them to the point that they want to cause harm to us. Now, attacks don't just come from people outside our families. Let's be real. A lot of times they come from the people closest to us. Satan is a mean, nasty, crafty guy, and it brings him no greater pleasure than to have wives and husbands fighting, to have fathers and sons fighting, to have mothers and daughters fighting, to have families fighting. I don't think that we need to spend too much time on explaining how and why that happens But I think we need to understand that they are part of our lives and attacks will happen. So what do we do? Well, let's look at Mordecai and Esther's story and see what they did. They went to their knees. However, they didn't throw up this quick prayer to God and say, Oh, Lord, I need your help. They wore sackcloth and they were mourning and they were fasting. They brought prayer to a deeper level. I'll have to admit it, I'm terrible at this. If someone personally attacks me, you know what I do? I practice. Over in my mind, over and over, I practice how I'm going to retaliate to this person. I don't know if you ever do that, but I do. So, oh, I could say this, I could say that, and you just over and over. 
You see, words don't come quickly to me, so I practice them. I'm not as witty as some. I dwell on how to retaliate. God gave me a good lesson a while ago. I had someone attack me, very similar to Haman, a man of power and authority. My first instinct, of course, was to put up my dukes and verbally punch back. I'm glad that you can't see the thoughts that were in my brain because I'm, yeah, not very Christian at that point. I wanted to let him have it, but God told me to wait. So I waited for three days. And God did a transformational change. On day two, my anger subsided, and I began to pray, quit practicing. And at the end of three days, God revealed to me that my ways of retaliation are not good. They are not the best. He, the Holy Spirit calmed my spirit. The Holy Spirit called me to pray for that person. And he revealed to me that if I had given him my wrath and retaliated, I'd have, I would have lost any opportunity to witness to that person. Before you think of me so holy, <laughs> please understand that many times I've lost control and, and I've totally retaliated and, and blown it. A key to the lesson that we read this morning is to wait, think, and pray and wait. Maybe it's three hours. Maybe it's three days. Maybe it's three weeks. Maybe it's three years. I don't know. You see, when we wait after an attacker, after an attack personally, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Sometimes after a personal attack, just staying silent and never bringing up the subject again is the best thing to do. It's not easy, but the hurt will eventually go away and life goes on. Maybe that's what you need to do. However, many times you will need to respond. Just like Esther needed to respond, the lives of all her people were in danger. If she didn't do something, there would have been a massacre. After Mordecai inspired her by saying, How do you know that God has not put you in a position for such a time as this? Maybe God has put you in a position for such a time as this. So what does Esther do? While she's waiting, she calls for help. She asks for her maids and all her people to fast and pray. Again, she's asking the people to take their prayer to the next level. She knew that she needed help from God. If she went before the king, she was subject to death. So she needed God to bless her with safety and bravery, but also with wisdom in how to respond in this difficult situation. So we can apply that to our lives, can't we? When we come under under attack, first of all, it's hard not to retaliate, but try not to retaliate in haste. If you can wait for a few days, that's great. If at all possible, give it some time. During this time, that's when you should be praying and seeking God's counsel. 
And depending on the severity of the attack, you may need to take and go to that next level where you're fasting and mourning about this. Maybe you've never done mourning and fasting before and are wondering what it entails. Well, fasting is just giving up things for God. Many times we think of fasting as food that we eat, but maybe it doesn't have to be that. Maybe it can be giving up our our, uh, TV, radio, or maybe even putting down our phones, turning them off. That would be hard in today's world, wouldn't it? But I think the major idea here is is to try and take away things that clutter our, our minds and to concentrate on God. A really good thing that happens when you're fasting as far as food goes, the dinner bell goes off inside. It's like, oh yeah, I'm praying today. So you have that connection. I'm praying. Try your hardest to concentrate on God. Read God's word. By the way, reading God's word at this time is critical. Many times the Holy Spirit will lead you to a portion of scripture that directly relates with what you're going through. It's so cool. It happens many, many times. God will give you clarity as to what to do. Esther's story teaches us that we need to pray fast and mourn, but we don't need to do it all by ourselves, do we? Esther and Mordecai, they called for help. They called for the troops. And maybe you can call for the troops. Maybe it's your family or your close friends. Sometimes it's okay to get them up to speed with what you're going through. But I'll caution you because sometimes when you do that, um, your friend might, it might get you all upset again, you know. So you, you'll have to make sure you use that cautiously. Make sure that the people you talk to will give you sound biblical advice and not lead you down that path of retaliation again. By the way, let me get back to my story that happened to me. After praying and asking God to bless me with my attacker, and I prayed for the person who was attacking me, God did a transformational change, not only in me, but in my attacker. I got an apology, and things are good. We moved on. Just think if I had unloaded it, let him have it. I would have lost my opportunity to be a good witness. To recap on what we've talked about today, Esther's story teaches us about family stress. Death is going to come our way. It's inevitable. So we need to be prepared for that. Make sure that you are a child of God, first of all, and then make sure that your family members are children of God, that they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And sometimes we may need to take an extra step with death. And maybe we need to adopt somebody into our family. It might be kids, or as I suggested, it might be an adult that we can informally adopt. Second, we learn that we will be under attack. These attacks come from outside, 
the family, but sometimes from family members themselves. When these attacks come, we need to wait as much as possible. Try not to retaliate in haste. And then while you're reading, while you're waiting, I should say, then you can read and ask for God's guidance. And you can call out to God by fasting, by praying, by mourning, if needed. And of course, it never hurts to call in the troops and ask them to fast and pray for you too. Esther's story is a great story of how God works extraordinarily if we trust him. Life is full of stresses that come our way, but we need God's help. Let's remember that God is faithful and he promises to be there with us and to help us every step of the way. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the story of Esther and what it means to us. And Lord, I, I understand that life is many, many times hard. Many times we have people who pass away in our, our, our family and our close friends. Lord, I pray that we can rest on, on you and, and that you will give us peace, understanding that these people are your children. Lord, help us to share the gospel every chance we get so that we can rely on that peace. Father God, I also ask that you'll help us when we are attacked from outside and, and uh, help us to be not hasty, but to think about what we're doing and to go to your word and go to our knees. Father God, we, we pray for wisdom in these times. Lord God, I pray that uh, you help us to remember your word this morning and to apply it to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.